Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ed Hill, General Manager at Bazaar Voice. Hi, Ed. How are you doing? Hey, good morning. How are things? Yeah, very good. Very good. We're recording on a Friday, so I've got that Friday feeling. We've made it through another week, so uh, all good. All good. We're nearly there. We are. We're within touching distance. Within touching (laughs) distance. So, Ed, you are General Manager at Bazaar Voice. We're going to find out more about the business. We're going to talk about user-generated content, find out what it is as we move through. But before we jump into that detail, let's find out a bit about you. So can you give us a kind of a quick career biog, what you've done in your work history, how you got to being where you are today? Yeah, so uh, I'm 42 years old and I've been in the software business for about 23 years, so more than half my life. And the common theme in in the roles that I've had, it's working for organisations that help our customers build efficiency into their processes through the use of technology and automation. Um, I worked for a company um, back in 1999 as an SDR or a a telesales rep. And really, I've done the majority of jobs on the customer facing side ever since then. And that's given me a good insight as to how our customers work and what success looks like for customers and generally how to ensure that we are communicating with our customers through a lens of value. So clients want to understand how we help them tell their story in a more efficient way. They don't necessarily want to hear how technology works or how technology providers tell their story. It's all about transformation and it's about ensuring that the investment that our clients make helps them achieve their goals more quickly and more thoroughly. Process and efficiency, productivity have been a big theme throughout your career to date. You're now at Bizarre Voice. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what you guys do there? Yeah, so Bizarre Voice is is known in the market as the leader in the user-generated content world. User-generated content can be anything from traditional ratings and reviews through to visual and social content that you might see either on a retailer or a brand's website through to content that you'll see on TikTok or Instagram And it's content created by authentic customers or users. What we see from our research is that consumers trust each other more than they trust brands and retailers because there's no incentive for consumers to to sell to each other. And so what Bizarre Voice does is it works with our customers who are 12,000 brands and retailers around the world to leverage their communities of customers to give authentic feedback and authentic reviews and authentic content associated with their products that they take to market. Now, that obviously has a huge benefit for uh, the consumers themselves because it's effectively giving the power back to the people. So it's allowing consumers to update each other and inform each other around their experiences with products. But it also has a great um, benefit to the brands and retailers because it allows them to uh, effectively outsource the creation of content to their consumer groups and their customer base. And in a world where there is an ever-increasing demand for content, be that through traditional channels, be that through social media, be that through e-com, be that through in-store, there's really not enough uh, capacity from a marketing standpoint to create the right volumes, quality, uh, and and, uh, levels of content. And so by using users to create that content and, and working with customer bases and communities to create that content, not only is authentic content created, which can be hugely convertible for uh, brands and retailers, but also that demand, that ever-increasing demand that consumers have for content can be met. Interesting. So kind of crowdsourcing all that information. And I, I suppose if we focus on the, the different channels within that, so if I'm a consumer, 
I can share my views on, let's say, the washing machine I've bought, good, bad, indifferent, and then that's picked up and, and shared with the rest of the community by that organisation. Is that roughly how it works? Yeah, that's right. So really what, what Bizarre Voice does is it works with our customers to help them to um, collect that content, collect the feedback, collect the imagery or the social content that their customers are posting about the product and then ensure that that is syndicated to all of the potential endpoints. So anytime that a customer is making a buying decision, we know, for example, that 86% of millennials say that they use user-generated content when making any purchasing decision. So having that content available and at the fingertips of somebody that's looking to make a purchasing decision enables them to make the right purchasing decision first time and gives them the confidence for that sort of social proof that the decision that they're making is not being influenced by uh, incentivized branding or marketing, but actually they have peers that are confirming to them that the product is a good fit for their needs. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So I suppose there'd be some skepticism, would there, that, well, it, actually it's covertly sponsored or you're only going to publish the the um, the positive things. So how do you kind of dispel those myths? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And in fact, we see... Um, we have seen historically that sometimes people do try to manipulate to to take advantage of of, of, of authentic content. Bizarre Voices, raison d'etre really, is all about driving authenticity. So both in terms of regulations and compliance that exist in the marketplace, but also in terms of the way that Bizarre Voices um, brand is protected, we absolutely uh, fundamentally insist that content is is authentic. And we have lots of artificial intelligence and machine learning, as well as dozens and dozens of human beings that are constantly checking content that is um, syndicated through our network. So any one time, there's probably a billion pieces of, of, of content in the Bizarre Voice network. And that process of moderation enables us to ensure, first of all, that there's no profanity or there's nothing inappropriate in that content, but also that the content is genuinely uh, being created by authentic purchasers as opposed to by the, the brand or retailer themselves. Yeah, makes sense like that, like that. And if I'm a, a consumer, then I get the benefit of authentic reviews, I get the benefit of good, bad, indifferent, because you're making sure that they're not just curated for the, the positive. And from a retailer's point of view, then, how does that impact them? They get the kickback of increased sales, reduced marketing spend, all that kind of stuff. Am I in the right ballpark? Yeah, you are. So if you think about it from an efficiency perspective, um, the various different types of user-generated content that are, that the communities of consumers will create might start with social or visual posts or videos, which are very, very good at kind of filling the hopper with, with consumers that may not have thought of investigating that particular product, but have been inspired by some visual or social content to actually go and investigate. So then you've got a load of prospective clients that as they get further down that marketing funnel, start to engage with more traditional ratings and reviews, start to look at the actual text and the perspective of peers, of people like them. And that actually gives them the confidence to convert. So what the retailers and brands see from a top line point of view is increased traffic and then a much higher conversion of that traffic from browsers to buyers. Now, at the same time as getting that benefit at the top line, the, the reduction in cost of user-generated content versus traditional media is really significant. So effectively, you're investing fewer marketing dollars to enable you to convert higher volumes of revenue. So it's a win-win from that perspective of, of efficiency. 
Yeah, and and as you say, that content that's coming into the site is coming in for a reason. It's not just a, a Google search. They've seen some specific content that's then converted them into making an inquiry. Deep. Yeah, that's right. It's In fact, it's a relatively interesting one that if you look at the way that the Google algorithms work, any piece of content which is created around a product or a brand is considered news. And so actually the higher the volumes of content that are created, the bigger impact that has on uh, SEO. And therefore, those products are more easily discoverable. They're higher up the Google rankings as, uh, as, as they're searched for. So there's both the organic element where social and uh, visual content is, is seen by, by consumers. And that may well be on a retailer site that they choose, to, um, they choose to repost some of the imagery that they see from Instagram in a bid to inspire people to think differently around their product. Or it may be that it's, uh, that it's you know, simply an organic, an organic perspective. But um, that perspective around the data uh, and, the, and, the, and the content driving both top of funnel addition of traffic and then conversion of that traffic into, um, into revenue um, is certainly where the efficiency comes from. I think probably the challenge has been historically that it's very easy to measure the impact of traditional media, be that Facebook ads or Google ads or, or even kind of, you know, billboarding and television adverts. There's sort of a, a trusted mechanism for understanding what the return on investment is. User-generated content until recently has been kind of the domain of, of the hobbyist to an extent. And therefore, there hasn't been enough data collected around the cost and the return on that investment. Now that we're able with deep analytics to really demonstrate the return that user-generated content uh, demonstrates in comparison to more traditional media, we really start to see that we can identify the right content for the right channels at the minimum cost and the maximum conversion efficiency. So from a a business process point of view, um, we see huge efficiency being driven into this world. Yeah, and it's worth calling out that you can spend eye-watering amounts of money on things like google ads if you've not got the setup right you almost get you almost pay to for people to search yourself if that makes sense so this this absolutely should streamline all of that process and take out some of that cost that's right that 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 market is around a 700 billion dollar market so huge 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 market investing in uh sort of traditional media and we know that there's a diminishing return on 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 that investment so organizations continue to invest in a thing which is delivering, uh, reducing value to them. Organizations we see that are probably front and center and are leading the way when it comes to more uh, modern and relevant content structures will also use some traditional media, but they'll use multiple different content types depending on channel, depending on relevance. And they'll be forever assessing uh, the needs for each channel, driving the forecasted the forecast needs for content and then using what, what we term a content supply chain. So effectively taking the principles of a standard supply chain, which is set up specifically to drive efficiency and reduce cost and applying that to the world of content. So how do we assess the market? How do we assess the needs and the appetite of our consumers for content? How do we then identify what form of content is going to be the most impactful when it comes to giving consumers the information they need to enable them to make a buying decision and then subsequently how do we ensure that we distribute that data in an efficient that that content in an efficient way so that it has maximum impact on the uh, consumers that are making purchasing decisions so taking what is a relatively well understood sort of post-industrial revolution perspective around um, standard supply chain we apply those principles to content and it has huge benefits in terms of efficiency gain. 
Yeah, in, interesting way of thinking about it. I'm not sure anybody else is doing that, are they? Um, we see organisations that are doing it well. We see customers of ours that are starting to adopt those principles. And certainly where historically content has been managed by various different departments without huge integration, where we see the world moving is towards a sort of centre of excellence model, where there are synchronised organisations that work within uh, perhaps the, the, the global um, function of a business and they then share services out to their uh, brands and to their departments that mean that again they're getting maximum efficiency lowest cost and biggest impact on the goals that they're trying to achieve and, it, and in a world where everybody's striving for the next kind of innovation the next uh, revenue stream we're seeing lots more collaborations so i think I, I saw nike doing one with tiffany on trainers new balance are doing one with stone island so again where you're sourcing this data and it's user generated if you're doing collaboration cross brand there must be a big benefit to those brands as well in that terms kind of halo effect of i went in looking for this but actually now i understand your brand more i become an advocate or i buy more from you yeah, it's really interesting to see, isn't it? The, the narrative around a brand, which historically has been owned by the brand itself, is now going from being a broadcast narrative to being a discussion. So actually, brands and retailers that have an open and authentic relationship with their consumers are benefiting from that because not only are they able to use authentic advocates in the market to position their capabilities, be that single brand or be that a collaboration as you just uh, as you just articulated but actually it's those brands and retailers that are prepared to listen acutely to the feedback that they're getting from the market and react in an agile way to better map their um their their product market fit or perhaps even make tweaks and changes to their product that will be successful over time yeah no it's interesting i i, I suspect as i say in the current climate we're going to see more i mean who'd have thought nike would have collaborated with tiffany's it just it kind of blows my mind but clearly well, yeah and you know one of my favorites is uh, is north face and gucci you know yeah. what, what and actually when you see the product and you understand the brands you there's a real affinity that you may not have put together historically and in fact there were advocates like uh francois bourgeois for example francis bourgeois on tiktok that kind of blew that whole phenomenon up of that of that of that collaboration of brands, and so that's the purest form of user generated content. You know, it's social videos, social content that uh, originally is not in any way connected with those brands. It's simply giving true, authentic advocacy for that particular product set or brand itself. Absolutely, absolutely, and top of lots of people's agenda is kind of green credentials so kind of the social impact the environmental impact and you've got kind of a play in there as well yeah more than one really i mean the thing that i love about this sort of democratization of content is that the power is really given back to the consumer and if there are brands that are perhaps um, operating in a way that consumers don't feel is appropriate maybe from an ethics point of view or a supply chain point of view Consumers now have the opportunity to share that information with each other and allow others to make decisions as to whether or not that um, those ethics, those morals are appropriate for their needs. Additionally, from a pure green perspective, the beauty of peer-to-peer content and experiences of like-minded individuals is that it helps customers make the right buying decision first time. So if perhaps there's a, a range of six uh, vacuum cleaners, let's say, and you don't know which one is right for you, rather than reading sort of the the generic marketing uh, blurb around that product, 
hearing from like-minded consumers, seeing perhaps videos or images of individuals using those machines might, me- might let me know as a dog owner with uh, hardwood floors that machine number three is exactly the right one for me. Well, the beauty of that is uh, multiple, right? Number one, I receive a product that meets my expectations and I know in advance what I should expect from that product. But number two is the, the returns are reduced significantly, perhaps as much as 70%, which has both ecological and economical impacts, of course. Yeah, less fun, less funds on the road, less paper literature being produced, all those things that, you know, again, maybe small gains, but when we start to put the volume behind it in some of the volume that these organisations are selling, then they become material, don't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Fewer vans on the road, um, less of a requirement for repackaging. So, yeah, the green credentials are quite significant around customers making the right buying decision and being really happy with the product they receive such that they get, you know, good value from it. That also drives, of course, the lifetime value that that consumer can offer to the brand or the retailer. That really, if you boil it down to brass tacks, that really is the metric that we're affecting more than any is cost of new customer acquisition divided by the lifetime value of that customer. So if you can use digital technology and peer-to-peer opinions to help to recruit consumers at low cost, and then you can give an outstanding experience to that consumer that drives their brand loyalty, and therefore they spend more with you over a period of time, you really have hit kind of the, um, the, the magic button when it comes to consumer relationship. Absolutely. And I think you touched on it before. One of those things that all retailers are struggling with is the the volume of returns or people ordering five different types of a a garment in fashion because they're not quite sure of sizing or whatever it might be. So that cost of me picking it, me packing it, me sending it out, then me unpicking it, unpacking it, putting it back is huge as online omnichannel grows and kind of stabilizes after covid so rebasing some of that and making sure it's the right product first time absolutely just strips out a whole bunch of costs that retailers are struggling with at the moment yeah i mean it's it's a it's a, it's a really good point and you know i think probably in the last uh five years or so it's become de facto standard for individuals that are perhaps buying garments online to buy the size they think they need one above it one below it and then they return two of those um two of those sizes once they've had a look well if by using right size capabilities um understanding from other users that are perhaps a similar size and shape to them how well the uh the garment fitted in the first place it enables them and it's a benefit to the consumer, right, to just buy the right product first time. Because whilst it seems convenient and easy to have perhaps three pairs of trousers sent to you and you return the two that don't fit, it's still kind of it's still administration for consumers, right, to repackage, to take it yeah. to the post office or to get it picked up by um, the delivery service. So through really understanding the fit, through seeing the fit through images, and I mean that's garments. The other, the other, the other. Um, domain that this is particularly relevant for of course is cosmetics health and beauty so if you can see the color of a of a of a product on a particular skin tone that really helps you make the right buying decision first time it drives your um, your your satisfaction with the product upon receipt through the roof which impacts again the lifetime value but also it dramatically reduces returns so it's it's good to see kind of the power coming back to the people when it comes to discussions uh, and narrative around brands and products because it helps us all improve, be more efficient, and in return, be greener. Absolutely, absolutely. And and on that note, Ed, if people want to find out more about you and, and the stuff you're doing, things we talked about today, dig a little bit deeper, where's the best place for them to find you? 
Yeah, absolutely. I would go to our website, bizarrevoice.com, uh, and we have uh, chats available for you to join. We also have an upcoming event, which is our Bizarre Voice World Summit, which uh, takes place on the 7th and 8th of March. On our website, you can register for that program. It's got an outstanding list of customers that are talking on our behalf. It's got thought leadership from the likes of IDC and Accenture. So really, as user-generated content becomes increasingly important to the digital marketing mix, and as Bizarre Voice becomes the uh, increases its position as kind of the predominant player in that market that shares all of that content around the multiple channels that exist, um, learning from uh, experts and customers is the right way to do that. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll put a link to the website in the show notes so people can click through and find that easily. Great. Final question from me, Ed, before we wrap up, one that everybody gets on the podcast. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Cool, that's a good question. Um, it's to treat people equally. So I worked, um, when I was 19, I started working for an organization um, and I got quite close to the founder who was a very wise individual. And I remember walking around a big office that they had in uh, in Newcastle and me saying to him, it's so nice, everybody you come across in this office uh, is is so happy to see you and so nice to you. And the advice that he gave me was watch out for the people that are nice to the boss, but nasty to the people in the canteen, because they're the people we don't need in this business. And so that consistency of attitude towards everybody, regardless of their position, whether they're a colleague, whether they're a customer, whether they're a partner, whether they're a prospect, that for me is the decent way to treat people. And it's served me well over the last 23 years. Yeah, no, great advice. Great advice. Ed, been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out and look after yourself and we'll catch up soon. Thanks. All the best.